one comes to the Father but through him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus. Therefore, it no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Inspiration for today. I ask you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life, that you'd minister to my heart. I pray that your word would be revealed to me today in a way that I can understand it, so that I can speak it, and so that I can do it and see it change my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The art of war, the nation's victory will be determined by the church. I want to say that again, the nation's victory will be determined by the church. And what that also means is that um, if, if the church doesn't do what the church is supposed to do, then at the end of the day, we're going to see the, the nation be defeated. And the nation will be defeated by the enemy, who is the devil. And so we do not want that. Now, last week we, we looked at Haggai chapter 1 verse 8. We started looking at that and also from Romans chapter 12, we're going to look at both again and we're going to complete the thoughts we started last week. Haggai chapter 1 verse 8, talking about how you build the church. Go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. And going up to the mountain is getting into the presence of Almighty God. And we looked at what it takes to get into the presence of God. If you were not here or you did not watch it, please go watch the sermon to, to get a hold of what we said. And then the second thing was to bring wood. And that goes around the cross. And if you do not know about the cross, then uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5a talks about who you are through Jesus. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand and realize today that the church is built with people, the church is built with you. And you cannot say wherever I go there the church is because the church is a gathering of believers. Now I want you to understand something else. I was in a meeting yesterday and the meeting that I was in it was actually organized by an organization called Sanko, which is the South African National Civics Organization. Not typically one that you'd associate with the church, one that you typically associate more with the African National Congress. And um, this meeting, which was involved by the chairperson of, this, of Sanko and also one of the pastors that we work with, the, this, this person from Sanko said, I don't know much about the church. But he said this, the ANC was born in the church. Some of you have heard me say, say that before. In 1912, the ANC was born in the church. And where is the church now when the organization is run by criminals? And I want to ask you, where is the church? Because many people will point at pastors and all of that. But where is the church? The church is all of us. Where is the voice of the church? 
And yeah, I want to tell you something. Even forget about the spiritual side of things. Just think about the practical implications politically when we do not meet. We're weak. We're alone. We have no voice and we have no power. But when we gather, that's when we're strong. And here's the problem. For the next two weeks, we're going to look at how important is the church within the nation. And I want to tell you that as, as goes the church, so goes the nation. If the church is weak, the nation will fall apart. If the church is silent, evil men and evil, evil women will prosper. And evil men and evil women are prospering. And the thing is, we've got to start looking at ourselves in terms of why is that able to happen in our nation because we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, I know there are certain problems that we're going to have. I know there will always be certain things that we cannot understand. I, I know that we will not have answers for everything until we get into heaven. But this I know. In a country where 70-something percent of the nation put on a form to say they are Christian, the nation shouldn't be in the mess that it's in. I want you to think about how many girls get raped. I want you to think about how many children grow up orphans. I want you to think about how many children grow up without fathers. I want you to think about um, how, many, how many kids are sexually abused in their own homes. I want you to think about how many people are being killed all the time. I think now the, the, the stat was 64 murders per day. And I think with the latest stats that came out in the last few days, it's now 71 people per day on average are murdered in South Africa. And then people are asking me to support Ukraine, but there aren't as many people per day dying in, the, in Ukraine as what there are in South Africa. And we're not even being invaded. And all of this, when we stand before God, God's going to lay at the feet of the church. He's going to say, I created such a powerful church in South Africa, and yet this was the state of the nation. And today I want us to really sit down and think about this because why is the church so important? First of all, alone we cannot stand. We cannot stand alone and without the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot stand. We cannot stand. We desperately need the blood of Jesus and the power of the cross. I've been telling my 12 recently, there's something which I intensely dislike. I intensely dislike the fact that most of the people who are complaining about the church and telling the church what the church should do are people who aren't in church. And many of them are making YouTube videos talking about the problem with the church is, and I want to say on, their, on many of their videos, the problem with the church is you fruitcake. You're not in it. You're not doing anything for it. You're just criticizing those who are doing something. Maybe you should just shut up and go make some videos about the gospel instead. It's exactly the same as um, I had a lot to say to the Springboks last week when they lost to the All Blacks. I was very upset. Very upset. I was almost as upset as I am with these guys with their YouTube videos about the church. But if you put me on that field, All Blacks wouldn't have won by the few, like 13 points that they won. They would have won by 1,000 points. 
yet I had everything to say. Even, I mean, the coaches and the managers and all of that, no, they chose the wrong team. The referee is useless. Everyone's useless. You understand what I'm saying? Imagine me refereeing that game. I'm telling you, it would have ended up in one big brawl. I'm pretty sure of it. You see, it's always those who are watching on TV that have got the most to say. You know, um, the guys know I've been watching this Man United fan channel called The United Stand. I love watching it because Man United, Manchester United is in a huge amount of turmoil. They're almost as bad as Kaiser Chiefs. I, don't even, I didn't even know there was a team called Richards Bay and Chiefs couldn't even beat them yesterday. Eh? Yo. Yo. And Manchester United lost 4-0 last week to a team called Brentford and Brentford lost yesterday to a team called Fulham. And I was speaking to, to, to Spoo on the way to church this morning. He doesn't even know who Fulham is. So I don't even know Richards Bay. He doesn't know Fulham and yet they both, you know, lost. Now, I've been watching this channel because all these guys, they message and they phone and they speak and they talk about we, we Manchester United. Think, what do you mean we? There's a few oaks that own it. There's a few other oaks that play, make a huge amount of money out of playing for them. And then there's all of these oaks who say we. Now, if one of those Manchester United fans has cancer, if Manchester United won the league and, and if they even if it were possible won the World Cup, what difference would it make to that Manchester United fan? We put so much into a Manchester United or a Manchester City or a Liverpool or a Springboks or for me the Lions, the rugby team. Come on, say amen, somebody. If you support the Bulls, shut your mouth. I'm thinking especially someone like Linda. He came here at one stage. I hope that that terrible uh, thing is off her car. That sign that says bulls. I said to her, this car is full of bulls. He left it on. We worry so much about a team. We put our all into political parties. And let me tell you what all the parties have in common. They run by corrupt people. And whoever you put in is going to be corrupt. And we talk about we. I've heard so many people over many years say, we the ANC. And I'm thinking, what do you mean you? I, I don't see them listening to you. I, then I've spoken to other people with the DA. We the DA, yes. We, we, who's we? But with the church. You have a voice. You have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who hears every single prayer that you pray every single morning and when you pray to Him and you speak to Him it makes a difference. When you do what He says you change the world. Listen to me Active Church you change the world. We desperately need the blood of Jesus. We desperately need the power of the cross and when we receive the Holy Spirit we become one in spirit and we have the same mind. Romans chapter 12 verse 4 to 8. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though we are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We spoke about that last week. We all belong to each other. Now it goes on. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given each one of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve it. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then encourage. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Do you realize that to be able to show mercy to others is a gift of the Holy Spirit. No, no, we all want to be like the man of God with a white suit or the woman of God with a white dress or the white whatever. And we want to go, oh, sure, oh, sure, and everyone falls down and all of this kind of stuff. But to give mercy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Tell the person next to you, say, wow, I didn't know I had a gift. And let me tell you something. If I called up someone onto this stage and I prayed for them, and they had a big fat tumor sticking out of their head like this. And that tumor disappeared in front of your very eyes. Let me tell you something. It's a far greater thing. If you exercise the gift of mercy. Than to get rid of that tumor. When you have mercy you're just like God. We're all different. And when we pull our strengths together in the church, we're all stronger. We're better together. But you know, so often we want to take our stuff, we want to take our gifts, and we want to do it for ourselves outside of the the, the church. And I want you to realize, that's fine, you can do that, but here's the problem. That's not what the Bible says. And excuse me for telling you, I believe the Bible, and I believe it. As they say, from the index to the maps. If you've got an old-fashioned Bible, you know, one that's not on your phone, in the beginning was the index, because there you had to look, you understand? Sometimes you had to look for the book. Especially if it was like Zephaniah or something, you know what I'm saying? You weren't sure where to go. Yes, even I wasn't. I had to go look in the index page number. <laughs> oh, there's Zephaniah. And at the end were the maps, Paul's spiritual journeys and all sorts of stuff like that, what the kingdom of David looked like in Solomon. And so I believe the Bible from the index to the maps and everything in between. The country is in trouble. The world is in trouble. And the only way to fix it is by building the church. The church, which as we said last week, is the temple of the living God. And so the question is, how do we complete the building of the temple? We went to the mountain. We experienced the presence of God. We were shaking, we were shivering, and we were jumping for joy. And we walked out, and everyone can see there was a light inside of us. The glory of God was all over us, and the power was everywhere, and it was fantastic. Because we were like Penny Hinn. We went like this, and people fell down. Amen? Because we were in the presence of God. And then what happens is, we go up and we get wood. We focus on the cross. We focus on the cross. On Jesus. And then the third part is that we, we've gone up, we bring the wood, which is the building material for the church, and we rebuild the temple. So how do we rebuild the temple? Well, in one of his letters, Paul tells the Ephesians, in Ephesians 2 verse 20, he says this, he says then that you are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as, a key, as, as the chief cornerstone. I, I want you to think about that for a second. 
we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So our foundation is the, the prophets and the apostles. And what did they give us? They gave us the Bible. With Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. And the chief cornerstone is the one that holds everything together. In other words, everything is built on the foundation of Jesus. If you are building anything that is not on the foundation of Jesus, then you have the issue. What you're doing is, is a waste of time. I haven't got time to go into the verses that talk about this. But the Bible says if you're building your life on anything other than the foundation of Jesus, it doesn't even count. Now, when Paul said this to the Ephesian church, and I want you to, to really understand, the, 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 the church wasn't going through a good time. In fact, what we went through in 2020 with the pandemic wasn't even close to what the church was like. And the situation the church felt found itself in. Because this was an era, an era when the church burned with a passion for the Lord. They burned with a passion for Jesus. Their passion for Jesus was worth more than anything else in their lives. And Christians were willing to offer up their own lives for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had the threat hanging over their lives of being taken out with the sword of a gladiator in a stadium with people cheering and mocking them. And yet, even with this threat hanging over their heads, even the threat of being thrown into the gladiator's arena to be killed and to be devoured by lions, it did not worry them because they burned with a passion. A passion that came from the love that they had for Jesus. Because they knew what Jesus had done for them. They knew what they had because of Jesus. But then however time went by. And you see, when Christians burn with a passion for Jesus like this, the church grows. Revival spreads. The Holy Spirit moves. Miracles take place. All sorts of things that happen that the enemies of Jesus cannot explain. And the church grows in the face of the enemies. And the enemy gets more and more antagonistic. But eventually they get overwhelmed just as the Roman Empire was. Now they overwhelm the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire becomes Christians. What happened? As time went by, they began adapting to their circumstances and they went and fell into conformity. Conformity with what? Conformity with the world. So what is church? Church is a thing. I go to church and I think about it intellectually. I think about it with my mind. I think about it in terms of what people can do. And I only think about the church in terms of what people can do. I do not think about the church in terms of the blood of Jesus, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the supernatural, divine, anointed power of God working in a nation that can save a whole nation. I just think about what people can do. And the Lord had to exhort them to return to their first love. This is why you read... In the first two chapters of the book of Revelation, you see Jesus is calling his church back to his first love. In fact, one of the churches he speaks to is the church in Ephesus, which is the same church that Paul was writing to. And Paul was writing to this church and saying to them, guys, you know, you have this passion for Jesus. You're on fire. You're willing to die for him. Jesus says to him, on the outside, you're doing all the stuff. You even criticize those who speak against the Bible. But I have this against you. 
you've lost your first love. And he says, if you do not get your first love back, your candle will be put out. When our first love is lost, it can only be restored through genuine repentance. I want to say that again. When our first love is lost, it can only be restored through genuine repentance. Many of us have been saved. And I want you to think about when you first got saved. How your heart burned for Jesus. And the majority of you, when you got saved, you, you would have had a deep compassion for reaching the lost for Jesus. You were sold out for God. And you would defy every obstacle you faced to get the gospel to people. And if people rejected the gospel, you would be so disappointed. Many times people like this, they give their life, they have this new experience of Jesus. This Jesus thing is new. Maybe they had depression, maybe they had guilt, maybe they had sickness, maybe they had all sorts of things that were hectic, that were terrible, that were overwhelming. And it all got lifted and there was so much relief and there was so much joy and they weren't used to having joy and they weren't used to having peace on the inside and they had all of these awesome things and they were so grateful but then over time, almost without noticing, maybe you found yourself being flattered because people were saying, well done for, for achieving your goals. Well done for doing things right. And, and, and as you're being flattered, it starts to affect you. And it starts to eat away at that passion. In the Destiny training, we teach about Pastor Cesar who spoke about this happening in the church at his run, which is Mission Charismatica International, MCR. And he said that there were people that got familiar in their church. They were taught the problem. They were taught that in order to overcome this familiarity, you need to repent. They were warned. And then in the Desi training, it actually quotes this and it says, even though God gave them sufficient time to repent, three of them refused and God had to take them out of the church. When they left, the, when they left, the church experienced tremendous freedom because everyone's eyes were opened and they were all humbled in their hearts in repentance before the Lord. God not only restored the church, he gave us a greater anointing for, for conquering. I want you to realize that when Christians don't repent, they hold back the church. They hold back the people around them. And one of the big things is, a, is, a, is, is an issue that is such a big deal in our nation. And that is, if we want to build the church, if we want to rebuild the temple... As, as Isaiah was speaking in Isaiah 1 verse 8, if we want to build the church as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, then one of the things that is required is that we be different from the world, which means we are people that are remaining loyal at all times. As believers, we all have to face adversities. We all have to face problems and challenges. And one of the areas where the enemy will try to seduce leaders is in the area of their loyalty. One of the, the, the big issues in South Africa today is that people do not know loyalty. 
That is why the home is in the state that it's in. Because people got married, get divorced, but, but now they don't even get married. And so the, the home is built on everything but loyalty. And if there is no loyalty, there is no love. Love isn't sex. You waving your rainbow flag. Love isn't how you have sex. There is no love where there is no loyalty. Love isn't sex. Sex is one thing. Love is something else. Love is something where you sacrifice yourself for someone else. Sex is pleasure. Sex is pleasure. That's what it is. And it's a pleasure that we're only supposed to enjoy in the confines of a marriage. Because then it becomes a blessing. Then that pleasure becomes an act of worship. But outside of marriage, it is a disaster. Jesus is the greatest example of faithfulness. And the place that the devil's going to go for you is in the place of your loyalty. Let's look at how Jesus was in Philippians 2 verse 6 and 7. Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, he was in the very nature of God. He was God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And I want to tell you that if we become like Jesus, that is the model. And when the Father entrusted Jesus with the responsibility of redeeming humanity and all the things that this implied, all the pain and the suffering and the anxiety that this implied, He neither doubted or discussed it. He just put it into action. He did it. He obeyed and did all the Father asked Him to do. What did Jesus say when He was on the earth? I want you to look at me and I want you to listen. What did Jesus say when He was on the earth? He said, I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. We accept every other Tom, Dick, and Harry who comes and says all sorts of things about all sorts of stuff. And we accept them as if they're the truth. But we push what Jesus says away. John 7 verse 18. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself how many times are you following and listening to people who are speaking to gain honor for themselves but he but he who works for 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 the honor of of the one who sent him is a man of truth there's nothing false about him in other words if you're working and if you put everything into honoring the lord if you put everything into honoring the name of jesus if you put everything into honoring god to honoring his church if you worry more about honoring your leader in the church than you do about honoring yourself, then he says, there's nothing false about you. People who want to honor themselves are false. Why do you think the world's such a mess? Because everyone wants to honor themselves. And some, sometimes there's no way for me to honor myself than to take my big foot and to put it on your face. Bah! And then maybe to... And the world is full of people that will do that. And, and when we bring the world's values into the church, we will do that. And that's where betrayal comes from. And those who lose their loyalty generally stop honoring those who've been their authorities. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 13 verse 1 and 2. Everyone must submit himself 
to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And this is a huge problem that we have in South Africa today. And why is it such a big problem? Because it's in the church. And let's not talk about the church as being everyone else. Let's talk about us. Because I can't go around and fix other people's loyalty up. I can't stop other people betraying. But I can stop doing it myself. When we remain loyal, God will increase us in the anointing to win souls and make disciples. When we remain faithful at times, even in trials, we will be able to help those in the midst of battles to emerge victorious. And Vic spoke about, doesn't matter what you're going through. She spoke about that early in the service. You can reach out, and I want you guys to listen. You guys listen. I'm watching you. I want you to listen very carefully. When we go and we reach out to people, God does something for us. One of the things I've told people, if you're in a marriage and your marriage is in trouble, the greatest way to help your marriage is go and counsel another couple who's got trouble in their marriage. God will help you in your marriage. The greatest battle that we have is the battle to forgive. One of the greatest causes of disloyalty One of the greatest causes of betrayal is unforgiveness. And so you're saying, but I've been unfaithful. Well, that's where we come and we talk about the blood of faithfulness. In Luke chapter 22 verse 44, he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell on the ground like drops of blood. Jesus, when he was faced with the reality of the Father's call on his life, the Father's call was for him to go to the cross. The very reason Jesus was born was for him to go to the cross, was for him to shed every drop of his blood on the cross. And when he was faced with this, that he had the Father's will, that he shed every drop of his blood on the cross in, and, and suffer most excruciating death and even end up in hell for three days for us. And this reality of what Jesus was going to face was so heavy on Jesus that it caused so much anxiety on him that his sweat turned to drops of blood. He felt when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane the weight of the call. And the Garden of Gethsemane was also the place where he was about to be betrayed. Jesus was sent to earth to redeem humanity and he remained faithful to the will of the Father until he completely and successfully completed his mission. Now I want you to look at me, Active Church. To be faithful is not always easy. Many, many times to be faithful is going to cost you. But Jesus remained faithful even when remaining faithful caused him to sweat blood. And the Lord experienced his greatest agony in the Garden of Gethsemane where our Savior 
conquered our sin and he conquered our redemption he redeemed us with his own blood and i'm asking you today how grateful are you for that because without that you can't even get to heaven how grateful are you for that and so he prayed and, and we see in matthew 26 39 he went on a little farther and bowed his face on the ground saying my father if it is possible let this cup of suffering be taken for me yet i want your will to be done not mine your 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 what do we do when it comes to that because let me tell you something if you have a relationship with god you're going to face many times where god wants you to do stuff you don't want to do lord please take this from me but not my will but yours be done we haven't been faithful and because jesus sweat drops of blood that faithfulness can be exchanged for our unfaithfulness if we will come to him at the cross in faith the end of the prayer I want your will to be done not mine Jesus was faithful in everything the curse came in the garden of Eden and God said to Adam in, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 19a by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground and this is why Jesus shed his blood through his sweat to redeem us from the curse because when the when the 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 sweat drops of blood came they fell on the ground to break the curse over the ground and 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 i don't even speak to anyone but the next thing there was that song curse of every betrayal broken to pieces by the blood of faithfulness because you see not only does do we exchange our times where we've been unfaithful for the times where where jesus has been faithful i do not know if you realize but every time we're betrayed there's a spiritual curse that falls on us and that curse only gets broken by the blood of jesus and so we can apply the blood of the blood of faithfulness to heal us from every betrayal I want you to listen to me today to heal us from every betrayal every time we've been betrayed betrayed and to set us free from every single generation generational curse that is in our family line that is bringing a curse on our family today and sometimes in our families we have curses people suddenly die all sorts of things people have accidents all sorts of things go on but you know what we can break that curse with the blood of jesus And I want to challenge you today to reach out in, in, with your spiritual hands and to grab a hold of what God has promised you. We apply the blood of faithfulness when we've been betrayed by a loved one. Maybe we've been betrayed by a parent. Maybe we've been betrayed by a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe a friend has betrayed us. Maybe we've been betrayed by a business partner maybe we've been betrayed in the church we can apply the blood of faithfulness we can apply the blood of faithfulness when there's a generational curse in our family that wants to dominate our lives maybe it's a generational curse that comes through occultism through idolatry through rebellion through sickness sometimes the the the, the sickness that we experience that 
just carries on going down the line in the family. Sometimes it's not a natural thing. It's actually a curse. And that curse can be broken. What are the benefits? The benefits are that we have a completely forgiving heart. One that is completely free of hatred. One that is completely free of resentment, bitterness. And and one that is free of a desire for revenge. What we also receive is a, is a heart that is faithful. God gives us like a spiritual transplant. And we now have a heart that is faithful. A heart that is obedient to the word of God. And we have complete freedom from his generational curses.
routine Working in purpose, I'm jumping in Your Holy Spirit is guiding me Purpose is driven to infinity Heaven is our destination Jesus is the only one Heaven is our destination Jesus is the only one